Welcome to the Azure Security Podcast, where we discuss topics relating to security, privacy, reliability, and compliance on the Microsoft Cloud Platform. Hey, everybody. Welcome to episode number 20. Uh, we have Sarah, Mark, and myself. Uh, Gladys is away this week. She's actually doing some training for her new position. We also have a special guest, uh, Alex Dodonka, who works on the Azure Security Team. But before we get to Alex, uh, let's take a look at the news. Sarah, why don't you kick us off? Couple of cool things that took took my fancy in the news recently. So much stuff, um, even though we're just in the new year. So to start with, application change analysis has got a new UI, um, which shows changes in all the Azure resources under the subscriptions that you've got up at the moment. If you're not familiar with this UI, the last one only showed a limited number of change um, and you couldn't filter them out. So if you had noisy changes that weren't being made regularly, you wouldn't be able to see the uh, the actual changes you were interested in. So definitely go and have a look at that because now um, it's in a public preview and um, it's much, much nicer. It obviously would never be a new segment without me by talking about something to do with Azure Monitor. So uh, the next one is that um, in public preview, uh, you're now able to use Azure Data Explorer clusters uh, and monitor it with Azure Monitor. So lots of things that kind of sound familiar here. So if you're not familiar with these products, um, Azure Data Explorer is kind of like a big data lake where you can uh, chuck all your data in and query it and do whatever you want to there. Um, Azure Monitor, of course, is our entire monitoring platform. And now you can get uh, some stats from your um, ADX cluster. So it can be uh, looking back at what's been queried, um, who's been using the most CPU in your ADX cluster, see who's been running all the queries. So essentially, you can get some operational stuff, which is good to understand who's using your ADX uh, and maybe abusing it as well. Hopefully not, but yet that's now in public preview. We've now got built-in Azure policy support for NSG flow logs, which is lovely, which means now you can uh, actually force NSG flow logs being turned on or being turned off in Azure policy as part of your security baseline, which is sweet. So last but not least, we have um, ASC, Azure Security Center updates for January 2021. Um, there's two, um, only two updates this month. We've got the CSV export of recommendations. So Security Center gives you hygiene recommendations based on uh, the CIS benchmark and best practices. Um, you can see them in the UI and you can also um, export them uh, via Event Hub. But now we can also, uh, you can also get them through a CSV file, which I have had some customers ask for. Uh, the other thing that's uh, exciting that's happened this month is that the vulnerability assessment, which uses Qualys in the background for on-premise and machines in other cloud has now gone GA, which is great because it means that you can vulnerability scan everything because it's in GA. Uh, some customers, of course, won't use things uh, or can't use things until they're in GA when they have an SLA and the support for them. So if you've been waiting for that one, it's here. Hooray. That's all my news for this time. Quite a few things piqued my interest over the last few weeks. Uh, as you said, it's actually been pretty pretty busy, uh, even though it's still only January. Uh, the first one is there's now support for backup on Azure Managed Disks. And my guess is prior to this, there was no backup for Azure Managed Disks. But now there is, uh, which is fantastic because it's a totally agentless backup. Um, you can just set the policy and essentially Azure goes ahead and does all the work, which is which is absolutely fantastic. 
The next one, talking about your backup, is that we now have support for encryption at rest using customer managed keys. This is something that I think just about every customer I have worked with over the last 24 months has said they wanted was customer managed key support uh, because backups are often, you know, contain sensitive information. I mean, obviously you could encrypt the data itself. So the backup will automatically take the encrypted data. But in this case, you can actually encrypt the uh, the actual backup itself. And that's, uh, I know of at least <laughs> two or three customers that immediately come to mind that are very happy that that's now, now finally available. Uh, the next one is as you defend for SQL, uh, there's some updates that came out. Uh, the first one is that it's now generally available for SQL servers um, inside of a VM uh, or on machines, I should say. Uh, this is really important because I know a lot of customers uh, who, for specific reasons, want to run, say, a SQL server in a VM um, rather than as a PaaS platform as a service uh, offering. Um, perhaps they're just doing a lift and shift, and so they want to do you know with the least amount of friction as possible. Um, well, Azure Defender for SQL Servers will now look inside, uh, actually look inside that particular VM and do things like baseline configuration analysis. This is actually pretty cool. You can set a baseline for security um, in the in the SQL database. Uh, there's actually a PowerShell script that you can also run. Um, I'll put a link to that in the show notes. It's the the, the PowerShell script is outside of the this uh, Azure Defender aspect, but uh, it's you know it's useful useful to understand this uh, the SQL baselining, um, so we can measure against that baselining. Uh, there's detailed uh, benchmarking information. There's also much better uh, integration with Azure Security Center. It just looks a lot nicer. It also the update includes uh, the Azure Defender for SQL includes support for Azure Synapse Analytics, uh, a dedicated SQL pool that's also generally available. Um, and uh, yeah, so you know, just all around fit and finish, and uh, making the Azure uh, Defender for SQL support look uh, look a lot more complete. It's fantastic work. Uh, next one is Azure Health Bot is now generally available. I want to point out this has got nothing to do with security whatsoever, uh, at least not directly. The only reason I brought this up is just in light of the fact that I've been working a lot with healthcare organizations of late, um, also with COVID-19 obviously being front and center with you know, everybody on the planet today. Now we now have this uh, Azure Health Bot. This is actually pretty cool. Um, this uh, allows developers in healthcare organizations to build and deploy AI-powered and um, compliant conversational healthcare experiences at scale. Uh, again, it's not a direct security thing, but I thought I would um, you know, put this out there because it's uh, pretty topical these days. Uh, next one is private link support for Azure Automation is now generally available. Um, as I've mentioned many times, and you're probably sick of hearing me say this, but uh, we've seen over the last few years uh, a bunch of trends inside of uh, Azure, especially for platform as a service offerings, things like customer managed key support for encryption of data at rest. But the other one is private link support. So this is where you can have a PaaS offering, in this case, Azure Automation, and essentially have it part of your, as an extension of your on-prem uh, your on-prem network. Uh, so that's really great to see as well. The uh, second to last one is public IPs uh, are now, can now be upgraded. A not a lot of people know this, but an IP address is actually kind of like a, it's kind of like a service in Azure. It's actually a feature in service. You can create these public IP addresses. And there's two versions, uh, basic and standard. And historically, if you said, I want to use a basic IP address, 
you are basically stuck with the basic IP address. Well, the standard IP address includes lots uh, of other offerings, other capabilities that are not there in basic, and you couldn't upgrade. Well, now you can. And that's, uh, that's another great usability feature that I think a lot of customers will be happy to see. And the last one, uh, one of my favorite topics as he looks across at his Azure Sphere SDK, um, my little, uh, got my Azure SDK board in my hands right now. Um, operating system OS version 21.01 is now ev available for evaluation. There's some new features in there, most notably around Wolf SSL. Uh, if you're familiar with Wolf SSL, it's a very small uh, library that does SSL and TLS uh, designed for um, small IoT devices. I actually have it running on a, on a little Arduino, uh, Arduino Uno. Uh, works, uh, works nicely. So, yeah, that's uh, my last topic there. Azure Sphere OS 21.01 is now available for evaluation. So over to you, Mark. News in my uh, space, uh, we'll start with human-operated ransomware. Um, so we've been talking about this over the last couple of episodes. And finally, we do have a landing site, and the mitigation plan has been released. Um, it's in the form of a PowerPoint deck. I like PowerPoint for those out there that don't know that. Um, so we did get that one out there. It has a very prescriptive uh, plan for addressing the human-operated ransomware, which honestly, given the flexibility of uh, these attackers and sort of their, their willingness to profit using pretty much any technique, um, it tends to be a very broad one. It's, it could also be used as a general security template plan, like what should I be doing and, and how to sort of protect myself against any threat, but ransomware is just the top one at the moment. And so that is out there um, and we'll send you, it's just AKMS slash human operated. So we'll send you that link and put it in the show notes. And we, we are expecting that that trend to uh, to continue and grow and, and continue to impact um, our customers significantly. Um, the uh, the next thing that uh, some of you folks in cybersecurity may have heard of is the Slurgate or Sunburst attack. Um, and so we have continued to release information on that. We actually have uh, kept adding to our existing resource center, the AKMS slash Solorigate. Um, so that will also be in the show notes. A um, couple of uh, notable new blogs. Um, we did talk about Zero Trust and Solorigate, you know, um, uh, in a, a really nice blog by Alex Weiner and kind of how did Zero Trust principles stand up to it. Um, and, you know, fairly well, um, you know, is my, my estimation of it there. And then there's there's also for the more uh, technical and threat hunter uh, kind of deep dive into the forensics uh, folks. There is a, a blog that just released as well on the second stage activation of kind of how these different uh, pieces that you've seen technically connect together. And uh, very, very interesting read. A lot of it honestly went over my head in terms of technical detail, but I was quite impressed by the sophistication of these um, of, of these attackers um, as I as I read through it, because there was a lot of pains that were uh, taken. A lot of effort was taken uh, to stay stealthy for these particular attackers. So because of all the questions that we've been getting lately around, you know, how does Microsoft um, uh, secure our environment, we thought we would uh, get a number of guests on our on the podcast to share how Microsoft is securing our code and our infrastructure and, you know, kind of lessons learned and best best practices from there. And so our first guest in this um, kind of informal series um, is Alex Dodonker. Alex, would you like to introduce yourself? Yeah, thanks, Mark. Uh, like you said, I'm Alex, a program manager within cloud security here at Microsoft. 
I work on a team within Azure called Strike and have been a part of the team for close to two years now. Uh, Strike is an internal security education and compliance program that provides employees with actionable knowledge and resources to support our all-up security strategy. Uh, we're most known for our ability to create and deliver quality learning experiences on those strong security principles based on uh, current and real-world threats. Essentially, uh, Strike is a platform for community engagement, knowledge sharing, and broad collaboration promoting on-the-job learning while empowering our engineers and participants to raise the bar, building a healthy security culture. We do this by offering a variety of trainings and hands-on experiences that motivate and ready participants to securely design and build and operate services. So Alex, so if, if I'm a, an Azure developer, say, um all of the sort of security education the mandatory stuff the cool courses that you know that i would want to take to learn more about security that that comes from your organization right most definitely at the moment <clears throat> strike offers close to 100 online courses not only for those developing our services on azure but also for those interacting with them maybe even for the first time both how to build securely with additional offerings that focus on the user and or customer. So for example, we have a course that covers best practices to keep your cloud applications and infrastructure secure, but also a far less technical course named how to explain cloud security basics to anyone, just to give you the gist of it. Yeah, because I know Azure, you know, developing Azure is, uh, has a lot of different roles in it um, with people with different skill sets, different responsibilities. Now, if I understand correctly, Azure is, is effectively there's sort of a core base set of services that that um, that are out there for everyone. And then Azure is really a, a, a set of different individual feature teams that develop um, these individual capabilities and services. And that's kind of your your customer. Those are the folks that you educate is is those kind of is those two constituencies. Is that right? Correct, Mark. And these individuals, you know, are within engineering. That's sort of the common theme. But uh, as you know, engineering is broad and covers a ton of backgrounds, including but not limited to obviously software engineering, uh, program management, design, data science, hardware engineering, basically anyone, uh, you know, that that has the engineering discipline, they are most certainly within scope. So we, we do try and provide a diverse set of you know, courses and trainings to kind of meet all of the the different players inside of our company. Now, if I was if I was in a in a customer organization and I wanted to set up my own education program, you know, to to sort of educate my own developers and application teams and application security teams, you know, what would be the the things that would be most important to to set up and um and to 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 build into that program? First and foremost, I think understanding uh, holistically of your, your goals and uh, kind of knowing the big picture of your product, I, I think the best way to go through this is threat modeling. Threat modeling is an extremely, extremely valuable exercise that our team uh, does a ton of workshops and uh, gets behind you know, acquisitions, for example, we'll, we'll always offer a security basic session, a threat awareness session, as well as threat modeling, and then a threat modeling lab. So, uh, you know, it's not going to cover all grounds, but as a, either a new company or someone trying to kind of get started in that space, you'll have to go through all the security concepts, understand what threat modeling is, 
and uh, you'll have to know your product inside out. So uh, find people with uh, pen testing experience, people that have threat modeled in the past, and uh, almost build a, a V team or you know a, a team that can kind of go through everything holistically, but uh, make sure there's security experts in there. So that, that's kind of where I'd start and where say if an acquisition comes on board where my team will typically get involved. Very cool. Uh, Michael, I, I first learned about threat modeling uh, from some of your work in the early days of Microsoft some 15, 20 years ago. Is that kind of similar recommendations as as you would have given back then? Yeah, nothing nothing's changed, I think. Uh, we've always found threat modeling to be a really useful tool. And by tool, I just mean technique, not necessarily a, a tool per se, but just a very useful technique for understanding how an attacker may try to compromise the system uh, and also making sure you have the appropriate mitigations in place. We have plenty of knowledge and technology around you know, code level issues, static analysis, dynamic analysis, and so on. But in the area of secure design, uh, threat modeling seems to be the most common by far. And it's certainly grown a lot in the last 20 or so years. If I look at the the material that we created 20 years ago, it's uh, is nowhere near as slick and sort of as, as efficient as it is today. Yeah, I always think of threat modeling as sort of the design part of the process, whereas, you know, all the SAST and AST and those kind of things are much more of the... Um, the um, the implementation part, but of course, you know, it's a creative process, so design isn't always completely separate from implementation. So, Alex, one of the things I was I was um, I was very interested in kind of digging into is, you know, the relationship with the red team. Like, how how involved is the red team in the various different um, various different aspects of the strike program and sort of the the education components? No, they're very much involved, and the red team actually uh, provides some of the more popular content of ours. So I'll give you uh, an example of what what that partner partnership has looked like in the past. So uh, we'll take lessons learned from previous Azure red team operations, where we have actual pen testers present on their tactics, findings, and insecure practices, and we just don't leave it there. We highlight the remediation steps taken and how best to work with the Azure red team after the operation is carried out. And we typically have the impacted team even co-present on the matter at hand and everything that went into securing the service after the fact. Beyond that, we actually uh, have a really exciting product that we built with the Azure Red Team called a Cloud Capture the Flag. Uh, I know Capture the Flags are uh, big time in cybersecurity, but ours is super unique. Uh, this partnership consisted of a lot of huddle ups, a lot of you know uh, time with the, the red team determining what challenges and what vulnerabilities we should highlight in this experience. Um, if you've never heard of a capture the flag, basically it's a series of challenges that vary in degree of difficulty and uh, the participants are required to exercise different skill sets, you know, that hacker mindset. And uh, once a challenge is solved, a flag is given out that is usually tied to points and you submit these to a CTF, capture the flag server. And typically the highest earning uh, participant will indeed get a bunch of prizes and uh, accolades, bragging rights. But uh, our version and what's unique and why, you know, we needed to partner with the Azure Red Team is because this is in the Azure hosted environment. 
So you actually get to fiddle around with our services, uh, attack them in a kind of real world setting. And uh, the different vulnerabilities and uh, procedures were identified as you know, current and valuable threats to go through these uh, you know, different challenges that including the MITRE attack matrix, which is uh, super you know, hot right now and something everyone should understand. Uh, but by the end of the day, you know, people unlock new knowledge for improving security in their Azure environment just by hacking it. So now I'm going to step into a little bit more of a manager hack question. How do you manage? How do you measure success? I mean, is it all subjective and kind of highlighting key wins and and key impacts in sort of an anecdotal kind of way, or are there some like concrete kind of metrics of of you know what good looks like or, or what success looks like? You know, that's the million dollar question, I must admit. Aside from staying out of the news, I can share a few examples. Uh, my first would be uh, some of our more targeted efforts. Uh, for example, we have a training series in itself called uh, An Introduction to Social Engineering and Security Risk for Data Centers. The title probably gives it away, but you know, this is specifically for data center employees onboarding and you know, maybe starting their careers in that space. But you know, due to the nature of their work, it's been key to put policy and processes that are unique to them in the forefront. When you can be intentional and not generic with security training, it pays off. Um, additionally, you know, our team will support service adoption and onboarding, which is very much measurable and monitored by our team. You know, since uh, you've had the Azure Security Benchmark team on previously, I'll share an example of how we got behind their efforts and demonstrate impact with them. Uh, essentially, their processes to establish security benchmarks by selecting specific security configuration settings to secure cloud deployments. Uh, we'll pinpoint service owners who are either new to Azure or needing to improve their security posture of existing deployments. Um, and what my involvement looks like is the coordination and execution of a workshop where here we provide hands on assistance while developing the security baseline for their Azure offers. Uh, setting a security baseline and uh, containing recommendations to help our customers meet their security controls in the cloud. Basically, this reviewed baseline gets published on Azure Docs, and this whole process offers the consistency and the security guidance to our customers. This is a prime example of measured success because uh, demonstrating their configuration of Azure meeting security capabilities, it's pre-mapped to the industry benchmark. So once it's complete, uh, you know these pre-identified pre teams are you know, meeting the, the predetermined needs. So the tangible shift of the needle is indeed a measurement of success. So as someone who's been actively involved for many years training software developers, I have to ask, uh, which classes seem to be the most popular? There are so many, but quickly, let me talk through a, a few. Uh, one's called What 99 Pen Tests Against Azure Have Taught Us. And I can't say much, but it's as good as it sounds. And uh, another would be security concepts and threat modeling overview. Uh, threat modeling is one of our favorite topics. I think we've gone there, but there's a sneaky fun course called A Journey from Engineer to Hacker, where a colleague of ours takes you through staging a safe and controlled environment to, well, hack. You know, the underlying message is when you understand who your threats are, where they're coming from, and their motivations, you're in a much better position to defend, to defend against them. Um, but the last few, I'll uh, quickly kind of cover these. Uh, they, they've actually already been 
presented to external audiences or we plan to you know bring these to our external communities and we're doing that through the security community team and their webinar series so we'll make sure uh, you all get the link and I, I think michael will make sure to publish that but um, the first one that's already available is called Securing You, Basics and Beyond. It's an extremely valuable message about the current threats, protecting your accounts and staying secure at work, but also at home. Uh, additionally, in February, the next one you'll be able to catch is called the Billion Dollar Central Bank Heist, uh, Costly Lessons in Cybersecurity. So basically, this was a riveting case study of the largest to date financial cross-border cybercrime. Um, and what, what we'll do is we'll talk about the Azure offerings to prevent such attacks. So be on the February plans, be on the lookout because we're uh, going to be doing these all the way throughout summer. I think we end in June. We have a, a talk on authentication and authorization, uh, one on Azure Security Center and Cloud App Security. And then I, I believe uh, one about open source. So uh, check us out. We'll be offering these throughout uh, June and you can catch our, our next one in February. Yeah, Alex, I've got a, uh, a question for you. Like what kind of resources are available um, to kind of get started with a program like this? So what I'm gonna do is actually shift the tone and share some advice because our program is actually only five years old. So a lot of the things maybe going through your mind were, you know, tactical and thought out uh, based on our recent kind of growth as a team. And what I think was most evident in our success was kind of how we were positioned to be, you know, alongside these, these teams, the red teams, the, the blue teams, the purple teams, and, to, to not be detached, uh, you see a lot of companies that will put, you know, their security training and group it into an HR bundle that, you know, uh, is a kind of generic requirement for everyone at the company to meet, you know, this security uh, compliance checkbox, aka maybe it's phishing or, you know, something you'd, you'd see on a day-to-day -day basis. If you are you know, building as much as a company like Microsoft, that generic training is not going to even scrape the surface. Uh, that'll, you know, leave the doors wide open for unsecure coding practices. Uh, so, you know, but where we invest all, you know, a lot of our time and energy is to, you know, bolster that generic training with other opportunities to deep dive. So you'll you'll need to understand who everyone is, uh, like who's building, what what their needs are, and to put together different experiences and you know either hands on or uh, you, you know just uh, diverse sets of of trainings that are almost going beyond what what you'd need to even know. Like our our team is so unique that we're we're putting out content that it's 300, 400, 500 level for, for people that uh, want to become their team security expert. Um, you know, not every team has a tried and true uh, security champ or even security engineer. So uh, it's essential to equip, you know, uh, some of the other folks to be that lead. Uh, a lot of our efforts are that community building, getting people in touch with the right folks. So if you don't know who's who or what's what, I think you should do a little bit of a self audit but know that the the generic run of the mill training is not going to be uh, you know a catch all. You got to offer some more robust content and cover more grounds. There's so much that goes into this. So, Mike, I'd like I'd, I'd be interested to to hear how kind of 
what Alex has uh, been describing compares to kind of how we started doing this like 15, 20 years ago. Is it a lot different, a little different? I mean, we've talked about the threat modeling piece, but I'm just curious from an all up, you know, program and device perspective, you know, how much has, has really changed over that time? You know, from a 50,000 foot view, nothing's really changed. I mean, it's the same sort of concepts that we laid out, you know, in the early, early 2000s. Um, I mean, some of the major differences would be the development processes are significantly, significantly different. You know, back then it was mainly waterfall models, you know, C, C++ stuff. So we had classes of vulnerabilities that we still have to care about today, obviously, because C and C++, especially old, you know, C and C++ or people who write C++ code as basically a glorified C, you know, those issues are really you know, of concern, especially mem you know, memory safety issues. Um, but now we're talking about different types of issues, you know, persistent store of credentials in, you know, configuration files or cross-site scripting or cross-site request forgery or poor cryptography, poor random number generation used for keys, you know, those kinds of things. So memory corruption issues are sort of not front and center like they were back in the day. I mean, obviously they still exist, but for the average sort of developer developing on a cloud platform, a modern cloud platform today, uh, they, they generally tend to be using higher level languages, uh, you know, C Sharp, Java, Go, Python, PHP, uh, you know, languages that sort of abstract you away from the low level machinations of the machine. In terms of process, uh, very similar. I mean, the software, you know, the way we develop software using the security development lifecycle, a lot of that is still very similar. Uh, I, again, some of the nuances have changed. But from a 50,000 foot perspective, it's, you know, it's it's good to see that what we started doing 20 years ago is not just still being used, but has also been modified and updated and modernized to adapt to a rapidly evolving cloud platform. Alex, I had uh, one last question for you. Um, bug bounties, like how do we approach that? What's what's kind of our philosophy and our, our thought process and, and how do we use them? Yeah, bug bounties are most certainly a, a huge priority for us. And I'm in a unique spot where uh, some of our partner teams are are the ones going through the the different reports and you know things that get sent in. And we're we're taking a lot of those findings, obviously, and working through through the remediation steps there. But we also uh, take those messages and can put them in the forefront of the people building the products that may have you know released something that was found that was a, a bit insecure. But um, I think what what's most important is to kind of drill into the bounty program specifically because I know a lot of the people out there are doing the work. Um, you know, we we want to we want to support you however we can and, and ensure you're kind of set up for success. So I'd say uh, before you just go poke around anywhere, make sure you understand what the actual ongoing programs are. We have a, a ton focused on Azure at the moment. There's even some, you know, on Windows and other products, but a lot of these campaigns are happening from the product team. So, you know, they're they're kind of specific in terms of what they're looking for. So be be proactive in, you know, not not wasting your time uh, just finding anything random, but really looking at what Microsoft and what our what our teams are wanting you to focus on as we, you know, hopefully can pay you out and uh, you know, work with you to to solve some of our security issues. We we definitely want you all to be uh, trying Azure and seeing what you can find, but uh, you know we don't want you to get caught off guard and uh, 
if you're going down a, a path that's not part of a tried and true bounty program. So learn about the bounty programs. We'll uh, be sure to provide a link of the current ongoing programs and uh, make sure to read through it because often you'll, you may find something and we want you to report it 100%, but it may not be a part of the current ongoing bounties. Alex, one thing we always ask our guests is mm -hmm. if you had just one thought to leave our listeners, uh, what would it be? Be authentic and have your message come straight from the source. You know, where, where we really are excelling is when we partner with the security teams. You know, they're essential to our success and a lot of the priorities and messaging we distribute is in coordination with those teams. But we happen to be in the same organization, which I've kind of shared, and that direct alignment with those setting that security strategy is what's unique about us. Our involvement, it's not just ampli amplification of these messages, but rather a true partnership with the individual subject matter experts. We're not paying actors to carry out trainings. Instead, we're grooming individuals to present on the matter themselves. Like I mentioned earlier, you know, the, we'll take the pen tester and we'll put them uh, in front of an audience. You know, these experts, uh, we support them in various ways. So it's not a, you know, it, so it actually comes across as a professional quality training. And uh, our process requires them, you know, full intake, uh, content reviews, rehearsals, presenter coaching, design support. And, you know, we're there to moderate and produce the trainings real time as well as post-production. So to sum it up, you know, partner closely with those experts. Uh, we couldn't do it without them. But, you know, make sure you're doing enough uh, where they know they couldn't do it without you. If uh, a lot of security teams will kind of flounder as they try and put their own messages out, uh, get a team that does this day in and day out, put together, and those messages will come together a lot crisper and a lot cleaner. And I, I know you'll start seeing security uh, results and, you know, improvement in your security posture. So with that, let's bring this to an end. Uh, Alex, Thanks so much for uh, coming on this week. We really appreciate it. And I learned a, a few things. It's kind of been a bit of a blast from the past, to be honest with you. Just a modern spin on something that we frankly started doing uh, 20 years ago, especially in Windows, Office, you know, SQL Server and Exchange and Visual Studio back, back in the day. With that, we'd like to thank all of you for listening as well. So stay safe out there and we'll see you next time. Thanks for listening to the Azure Security Podcast. You can find show notes and other resources at our website, azsecuritypodcast.net. If you have any questions, please find us on Twitter at Azure SecPod. Background music is from ccmixter.com and licensed under the Creative Commons license. <laughs>